This morning we are going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you'd like to follow along, you can do that with the, the bulletin notes it's on the back of the bulletin or the Uversion app that is online. You can do either one of those. That will be fine this morning. I have received a couple of questions in the last several months, and I have also perceived something that is a need in a lot of people's lives. That is the question, does the Holy Spirit really reside within me? Is it important that I know that the Holy Spirit is here? And if so, how can I know that the Spirit is here? So last Wednesday night, I had a conversation just right out here on these steps with a young man who had that very question. For he kept using the word, if, if, if I know God, if I am connected to him, if I am in a relationship with Christ. But we find, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. And as a matter of fact, it's the most important answer you will ever find. Does the Holy Spirit reside within you? I'm going to go ahead and give you a preview. It has nothing to do with showing up at church. The Holy Spirit residing in you has nothing to do with reading your Bible. It has to do with a real relationship with Jesus Christ. But how can we know that we have that relationship? Well, we're going to dive into that today because you may encounter someone in your life that may ask that very question. So let's just jump in. We're obviously going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today. Don't miss this fact. Jesus' birth was a virgin birth and was conceived by the who? Holy Spirit. So Jesus began his mission on earth being conceived by the Holy Spirit. And when he leaves, he promises that who's going to come? The Holy Spirit is going to come and fill us. That is not by accident. For those who do not believe in the virgin birth, they deny the very existence and power of the Holy Spirit in what they say. The Holy Spirit was there in the very beginning when God said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity was there, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were all right there. The Holy Spirit existed since the beginning of time and will usher us all the way to the end of time. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he did. We find that when he is baptized, there is a, a dove that descended. And the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And all that Jesus did, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to let you and I know that there is a life that we can live when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit that can be different. That can give us the courage and strength that we need. And then when he is to ascend, he tells the disciples, stay in Jerusalem and wait. Until the gift that the Father has for you comes. Until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 to start with. And then we're going to jump into chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 12. What has happened here is Jesus has ascended, went up into the clouds. We, we looked at last time that Jesus is going to return. There's biblical evidence everywhere. Jesus is coming back. That's part of our faith. We believe it. Jesus will return. And now that he has gone away and he's given them instructions, we're going to pick up in verse 12 of chapter 1. 
It says, Then they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. That's approximately about a half a mile. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. The upper room is where they had the Lord's Supper. It is believed the upper room is in Mark's house. That his parents owned this upper room and this is where they went to have the the Lord's Supper, his last supper, and is where the disciples are going. And it says that Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James... These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When you skip down to chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come. I want to pause just for a moment. I don't want you to miss that this was not on the same day. When the day of Pentecost has come, lets us know that there is some time that has passed between chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come. Now here's the interesting thing. I did some math and I got to thinking. I was like, well, how many days was it? What's the numbers here? Because Jesus, he died. He rose again on a Sunday. He was around for, for 40 days. And then on the day of Pentecost... We find the disciples and everything changes. So my question was, how many days was it between the ascension and the day of Pentecost? Well, I'm a Dahlonega boy, but I can use a calculator. And so I got to thinking about all of this, and I started thinking about whenever Jesus died, it was on the Passover, and how many days is it until till this day of Pentecost and it's 50 days. So when I did the math, here's what I discovered. Jesus stayed around for 40 days and then he ascended into the clouds. They went into the upper room and began to pray. Eight days later is the day of Pentecost. Now why is that important, Pastor? So what? It's eight days. Let me tell you why this is important and why I was like excited when I discovered this. If it's eight days later, do you know what the number eight means in Scripture? Guess what son David was in the Old Testament, who's in the lineage of Jesus. He was the eighth son. The number eight in the Bible is an indication of a new beginning. See, the number seven we see in Genesis, that's, that's the seven days of the week. That is the number of completion. And the number eight in Scripture is an indication of a new beginning. Now, Jesus did not just accidentally go away on day 40, so it would be eight days later that it would be the day of Pentecost, which is a sign for a new beginning. On the day of Pentecost, they are celebrating as Jews The coming of the law from the mountain down to the people. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament. They All the Jerusalem is filled with people. And they're there for the day of Pentecost to celebrate Moses receiving the law. And on this day, eight days after Jesus ascends into the clouds, there is a new beginning. Something happens. So that tells me that when we look at verse 14 in chapter 1... These disciples, and it also says, when you look down in verse 15, that there were 120 people that was praying 
continually devoting themselves to prayer in one mind. Jackie Davis, how many people are here today? 118. So if somebody could go find two more people out on the street and get them to come in here, we would know what 120 people were like. So this room is like what it was in the upper room. Now the upper room was probably not as big as this room. They were a little bit closer. So 120 people were gathered together praying in one mind waiting for what Jesus had said. They were staying in Jerusalem. They were being obedient. Jesus said to stay, and they were staying. They were in one mind because they had one thing. We're going to obey Jesus. We're going to look for this thing Jesus said is coming, and we're going to do what he said that we're going to do in the mission. They were devoted to each other and to prayer. But when we get to chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Anybody here ever spend eight days praying? Anybody here spend eight days just praying with other people? Probably not many of us in this room have ever been part of a, a, a prayer campaign or a prayer group where we are constantly doing prayer every day and there's people coming in with shifts and they're praying. What was going on here was they didn't have a set-up rotation. They were praying for eight days. They were devoted and committed and on the day of Pentecost, when they all Jerusalem is celebrating the coming of the law, coming down from the mountain, here's what happens. And suddenly, there wasn't a warning, there wasn't a rumbling. It says, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise. Somebody say noise. I want to debunk some of the ideas that are out there. There are even some images that contradict what the scriptures say. Notice carefully, it says, suddenly there was a what? A noise. Like a what? Wind. A violent rushing wind. It doesn't say that there was a violent rushing wind. It said there was a noise like a violent rushing wind. So you know what that tells me? Audibly, they could hear something was going on. As a matter of fact, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, number one, this is the, the first thing I want you to write down today, that with the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is noticeable. Somebody cannot say they have the Holy Spirit and, and you can't even tell it. There should be something noticeable. Notice here, when the Holy Spirit came, there was something they heard. All of a sudden, they hear this strong, violent, rushing wind. So if you ever see a picture of this moment and an artist who has drawn this and their hair is being blown and there's a wind that looks like it's going on in the room, you know that is not in the Bible. It says they heard a noise like a mighty rushing wind. So they heard this noise. There was an audible evidence it was supernatural. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each of them. I want you to also notice that not only is it audible, but it's visual. 
This tongue, I believe, in, 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 in my opinion, and as I look at this, it was a representation of what the Holy Spirit was going to do for them, and it was going to give them courage to speak the gospel in the face of opposition when they may die. It was a symbol of what they were about to do when they were going to be speaking in different languages. It was a symbol to say, here's what the Holy Spirit's about to do, and when it comes upon you, it was like a tongue of fire. And so God does this so it can be heard, so it can be seen. So there's obvious evidence that's noticeable. And I want you to continue to look here in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say filled. Filled, filled up completely. It's like taking a water glass and filling it until it's just about to run over. And then all you got to do is put one drop and water will run over the side. That's full, my friend. They were completely filled. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you get all of the Holy Spirit, not part of the Holy Spirit. He comes and dwells within you and He fills you up. There isn't room for uh, some of that mess going on. That's why whenever uh, I was talking with that, that young man on Wednesday night and he was afraid of being possessed by a demon, it's real. I've been there. I have seen these things happen. He was worried that there might be a demon that might possess him. When the Holy Spirit lives on the inside, there's no room for a demon to get in. A demon in the Holy Spirit is not going to occupy the same house. When the Holy Spirit lives in here, you don't have to worry about being possessed. Now, you can be oppressed. You can be attacked. You can be, be beat down. But let me tell you, you cannot be possessed by a, whole, uh, a demon when the Holy Spirit's taking up residence. And the Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. He's there to fill you up. It says here that they were filled Completely, all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit has given them utterance. They were speaking as the Holy Spirit led them to speak and to say what the Holy Spirit led them to say. And what is it that the Holy Spirit led them to say? Did they just start running around in circles? Look what they were saying. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why were they devout? Because it was Pentecost. They needed to be in Jerusalem for this celebration of the coming down of the law off of the mountain from Moses to the people, the old covenant, the things that made them Jews. They were celebrating it. They were devout. And when this sound occurred, doesn't say when this wind occurred, but when the sound occurred, the noise of this violent rushing wind, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So as you read here, you will find, if you look some of this up, there was Italian, there was Asian, Egyptian, there was Arabian, all these different languages was, were being spoke. And it's not that they went and took a class. They didn't have all the apps on their phone and did a quick study of how to speak another language. It was the Holy Spirit. So now you're hearing something different. It's, it, there's evidence that's noticeable and it can be observed. There's something different about to, be, about to happen. So they were amazed and astonished, saying, why are, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? The reason it says Galileans is because they were uneducated men. 
They didn't go to any university. They were just your common guys from this place called Galilee. And nobody that's intelligent comes from Galilee. But yet here they are, speaking Italian very well, without the English words that, because I don't know Italian. <laughs> and they're... If there was somebody there in the crowd that spoke Spanish, you know what the disciples, there'd be a disciple somewhere speaking Spanish. And if there was some African dialect that somebody there that was a devout Jew and they were there in that crowd, somebody, one of those disciples would have been speaking that dialect. And it amazed them. So much so, we find that in verse 12, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are drunk. That's my interpretation. It's it's right there. You can see it. They're drunk. They've been drinking. They are out of their mind. They are loopy. Ladies and gentlemen, I've never seen a drunk person automatically start speaking another language. I mean, if it takes drinking to learn how to speak Spanish... I just might, (laughs) because I've been trying to learn Spanish, and I've been praying, oh, Holy Spirit, just, would you just rush over me and let me wake up one day and just start speaking Spanish? I thank God for Google Translate. Just this week, I had a conversation. Somebody called the church office. It was obvious they were speaking Spanish. I could speak hablo espanol un poquito. I know that very well. And then I said, text me, text, text number, text telefono. (laughs) You know, so they texted the church number and I used Google Translate to help translate and be able to communicate with them because they were in need of food. I heard the word comida and I knew they were looking for food and they were needing some food. And so I was able to communicate with them. And later on that day, they showed up at the office. Thank God she brought somebody who could speak English. But we see here a miracle taking place that was noticeable by all the people who were not followers of Jesus Christ to the level of the, of the disciples. The evidence was noticeable. They heard the noise. They came running. If you want to know the two things to look for, If you're absolutely wanting to know if you or someone else or someone asks you the question, how can I know I have the Holy Spirit in my heart? How can I know? Because I feel distant. I have these doubts. I have these questions. And I'm afraid I don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you two things. Number one is this. Conviction. Conviction of sin. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit is going to push you away from sin. The Holy Spirit is going to convict you over something. How is that different than guilt? Guilt, you're just going to feel bad. Conviction is going to make you not want to do it anymore. Conviction of sin and going, I don't want to live that life. I don't want to be involved in those things. I need to stop lying. I need to stop the pride in my life. I need to stop what I do with my phone when nobody's looking. I need to stop. Whenever you're convicted of sin and it's pushing you away from sin, that's a sign that you have the Holy Spirit. Many people can feel guilty simply because they've been taught right from wrong. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. And they will feel guilty over something they did. But the Holy Spirit will convict you and cause you to go away from it. The second thing, Billy Graham said, It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. 
God's job to judge and my job to love. And we do that through the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this. Not only is there conviction by the Holy Spirit, there is a pursuit of holiness. Not only does the Holy Spirit push us away from sin, it draws us to holiness. It draws us to that which God has called us to be. In other words, it will transform us into more of the image of Jesus Christ. See, you cannot look like Jesus if you continue to sin in your life and practice that. First John, John said that the one who practices sin does not know God. The one that continually keeps up the same thing, it doesn't bother them. They're not convicted over it. And they're just stuck in it and they keep doing it and they're fine with it, does not know God. They do not have the Holy Spirit living in them. But for the one who sins and they're convicted over it, that's someone who knows God and has the Holy Spirit. So the second thing is this, the power of the Holy Spirit is transformative. The power of the Holy Spirit will transform you. Don't forget that these are the disciples that after the crucifixion, they scattered. In fact, let's go back a little farther to the Garden of, of, of Gethsemane. Whenever they came to arrest Jesus, they all ran away. There was none of them that walked with Jesus. Peter followed at a distance, and when he had the opportunity to say, Yeah, I'm one of the disciples, he denied it. I don't know him. Don't know him. Nope, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of those disciples. Uh-oh. Jesus said, I would do that three times, and then a rooster would crow. And so Peter, he went out and wept. You want to know why he weeps? It's because he is convicted over his sin. See, conviction will come when we have the Holy Spirit. Conviction over sin is not a bad thing, ladies and gentlemen. Conviction over sin is good because it pushes us away from the wrong and it draws us to the right. They were confused. They were scared. They were afraid they would be the next ones that would be crucified and die. Yet, after the resurrection, Jesus made sure they could see that he was alive again, a bodily resurrection. He had the, the evidence was there, the confidence that they knew he had risen from the dead. They, and then when he went into heaven, they stood there going, Okay, boys, now what? Is he coming back? And then they had to do what Jesus said. You remain in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when that power has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will speak. You will talk about these things. And you will do it boldly without any doubt. Henry Blackaby said, will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? The answer is Yes. Will God ask you to do something you're not able to do? And all God's people said, yes, he will. He will ask you to do something that you're not able to do because when the Holy Spirit resides in you, you will be able to do that thing because of the Holy Spirit, which means that God gets the glory instead of you. If he only asked you to do the things that you're able to do, then guess who gets all the credit? We do. But the Holy Spirit is there to transform us. And we see this happening in the disciples. We see over in verse 14 of chapter 2, but Peter taking his stand with the other 11, Peter stood up, knowing that they were all devout Jews, that 
just previously, 50 days earlier, Jesus was dying on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave. They were trying to figure this thing out. They've seen the evidence. Jesus spent 40 days with them. They've been 10, eight days in prayer waiting for the gift. And now it's Pentecost. And they're all celebrating the coming of the law. But all of a sudden, suddenly there was a sound of a rushing wind. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then everything changes. There's a new beginning. Because the Holy Spirit... It's noticeable and it's transformative in the lives of the disciples. What it will do is it will change the way we think. It will change what we do. It will change the way we live. And it will change where we go. The Holy Spirit will transform us from who we were to who God knows we can be. See, we actually do not understand God's plan for us. We have a plan for ourselves, And God's plan is so much bigger takes us to places we never thought he would take us. I watched last night as my daughter performed her last performance as a high schooler. Oh my gosh. Go back a few years and she was afraid to sing in front of her mom and dad. It took multiple times for her to just simply sing a few words. But last night she stood on stage in front of, was it 500? 600 people in the last performance and sang. And you know what I love? She did Les Miserables, and I never thought about how it connects spiritually, but they did that last night before it because this is Christian youth theater. They used a verse from Ephesians and talked about the redemption of Christ's blood, and they were hoping that people would be able to see the need for redemption. And I'm sitting here going, Oh, yeah, come on, bring it. <laughs> now, this is the way to go to, to see theater. But it was a story of redemption, someone seeking redemption, someone seeking that, that change and that transformation in their life when others did not believe it was. But I saw my daughter and how she was transformed. And by the way, I have to tell you something. She received an award that they normally don't give out every year. They only give it out whenever that special person comes along in the theater. It's the CYT Heart Award. Because what they see in her is special. You know what? It's not because of me. Don't point at me. It's because of the Holy Spirit that lives within her. She received Jesus Christ in this church when she was a little girl. Right back there in the room where the youth meet on Sunday morning. During vacation Bible school. I got to baptize her and Jayanna. They both got saved the same night. Right here in, in this baptismal. And then God calls me back here to be a pastor and see her grow. She is who she is because of the Holy Spirit transforming her. Not because of me or her mama. Even though I give mama all the good credit for all the good stuff. Understand, we're trying to get the bad stuff of daddy off of all three of our kids but it's the Holy Spirit that has transformed my kids it's the Holy Spirit that transforms people's lives last Sunday in my office I was doing a counseling appointment and there was a lady that she was talking and she began to talk about something that she just didn't feel like was right she's a brand new Christian and I'm sitting there and I'm grinning from ear to ear because she had never read in Scripture where it said that you must forgive for the Father to forgive you. And she was like, you know, this woman just really ticks me off. If, 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 I, if I did not know Jesus, I'd grab her by the hair of her head and I'd beat her down. I just love the honesty. But she said, but I just can't. Because I just know it's wrong. I said, well, have you ever read what Jesus said about forgiveness? No. 
I said, well, let me tell you what happens. That's the Holy Spirit imparting upon you the Word of God so that you know not to act that way. That is the Holy Spirit transforming her from the woman she used to be into the woman God wants her to be. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what is happening here in Acts. And we have to understand it happens in our life today. What must we do? Number one, we need to be united in the mission for the gospel. It's not going to be a new politician. It's not going to be a new policy by the government that will actually make a difference in this world like the gospel of Jesus Christ will. The gospel of Jesus Christ takes someone who is broken and messed up and will transform them through the power of the Holy Spirit into a, a man, a woman of God, seeking to do His will and not their own. We must be united as a church and as a place. That's why our mantra around here is becoming a church with one heartbeat. That one heartbeat is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reaching as many people as we possibly can with that. I want to remind you, it's not the great suggestion. It's called the great commission that we must be making disciples. The second thing is this. Continually devote myself to prayer. Notice up in, in verse 14 of chapter 1. These, which were the disciples, all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It's the first mention of Jesus' brothers. The very ones that thought he was a lunatic earlier in the Gospel of Mark. You find them in the upper room. Believing, trusting in one mind and praying for that Holy Spirit to come, that gift. So what are we to do over the next seven days? I'll tell you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to transform a life. It does not matter what I say, what music we do. If the Holy Spirit does not work on people's lives, no one will be changed in this room. It does not matter who talks to your loved one, your, your child, your, your parent, your uncle, your aunt, your co-worker. If the Holy Spirit is not involved, it will come to nothing. But I'm very thankful that Jesus said that some of us sow, some of us reap. And everything in between sowing and reaping is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we must trust in that. And pray that the Holy Spirit will work to transform someone's life. Today, if you do not know Jesus, and you know that something needs to change, then you need to invite Him to forgive you and take over your life. If you've had questions about, well, does the Holy Spirit live within me? Well, you can simply answer these two questions. Are you convicted over sin? It's not the same as feeling guilty. Are you convicted over sin, and are you pursuing righteousness and holiness? If you're drawn to be more like Jesus and less like the world, if you're drawn to be more like Jesus instead of being filled with this sin in your life, then the Holy Spirit lives here. But if those two things are not going on, you need a checkup because before you get home, you may be, you may be at that place where you're going to stand before a holy and living God and answer the question, what did you do with my son Jesus? I hope and pray that everyone here that can hear me, everyone that's listening to this, will be able to say, yes, I'm convicted of sin. Yes, I'm pursuing holiness. But if you cannot say yes to both of those today, will you make it right right now? Because ladies and gentlemen, just come into church. 
is not the measure. Just reading your Bible is not the measure. The measure is the Holy Spirit living in you. That's what makes the difference. We pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. That should be noticeable in our life. God, you're not hiding the Holy Spirit. And it's not a mystery. It's not a secret agent that's living within us. It is something that should be noticeable. Lord, these were things that we see in early on in the beginning of the church, the beginning of, of the Holy Spirit coming, that the Holy Spirit was noticeable. And it transformed a bunch of ragtag, uneducated guys from a part of the world that nobody looked at to see anything good coming from it into bold men telling people that rather than celebrating the coming of the law in the Old Testament, it's time to receive the grace that's come down through Jesus Christ for us to receive in this new covenant. Today, if you find yourself wondering, if I, if I die today, will I go to heaven? I don't know, Pastor. We'll answer those two questions. Are you convicted over sin? And are you drawn toward righteousness? If so, you have the Holy Spirit. If not, you need to do business with God right now. Let the Holy Spirit just speak to you as to what you need to do. I would encourage you with this. Ask God to forgive you and ask Him to take over your life. When you ask Him to forgive you and take over your life, then He will push you away from sin and draw you to righteousness. The Holy Spirit will come in and cleanse you and change you and transform you. You don't have to clean up, dress up, fix up. You don't have to change your mouth, what you think, what you say. The Holy Spirit will do that if you'll just invite Him today. Father, I pray right now that whoever it is that needs that assurance of their salvation, that God, they will pray right now for you to forgive them and take over their life. They'll no longer just pretend to be a Christian and just come to church or just read their Bible, but they will be transformed by the Holy Spirit this day. Or for those of us who know you, sometimes we get so caught up and distracted in this world. We need to just ask you to forgive us because we've neglected the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we are not feeding our spirit, we're feeding our flesh. And we know, God, I am certain, I don't have to convince anyone whether or not they are pursuing righteousness. If the Holy Spirit is living in them, they know right now where they are. So Lord, let them do business with you this day. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, who is that transformative power that can change us. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.